EOS podcast. But today we are not talking to an EOS project. We are talking to one of the best EOS IO projects. You guys are only the second uh, non-EOS project ever be on the show. Uh, William Quigley, uh, the CEO of Wax, was the first. So you guys are uh, in, in good company here. I'm here with uh, David Hansen, uh, the co-founder and co-CEO of Ultra. Uh, Rami James, uh, who is, this is your second time on the show, I believe. Uh, he is the product owner for the blockchain uh department, I guess, at Ultra. And of course, you guys all know Eve LaRose, number one block producer on EOS, EOS Nation. Uh, about, what, a month ago, less than a month ago, you were announced as mm. the newest uh, technical block producer on the Ultra blockchain that is yet to launch. So I, I think that's one of the things people want to know is, I guess, when could we expect to be able to use this thing you guys i've been excited for it for over a year now um i know there's a test net that's uh set to launch later this month could you tell us i guess maybe we should backtrack not everyone might know about ultra why don't we do a summary a tldr of what ultra is what makes it different than steam and then i'll get into some of the questions about when 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 launch sure okay um so basically ultra is like a steam um but we didn't want to do a steam copy a steam plus plus you know steam with blockchain um and and we wanted to reinvent what game distribution is all about and so we created ultra which is actually an entertainment platform and the difference um with steam is that within ultra you will find not just a game distribution platform but it's an ecosystem of applications and services so ultra games is one service within ultra and it's our game distribution service but you also see um you know live streaming platforms like theta we announced a partnership they will be part of ultra uh, you will see like tournament platforms item trading platform um you know um crowdfunding for games music movies and so on and so all of this within a single roof and all of this with a single login. So you register one time on Ultra, you get access automatically to all of the services. And then, of course, um, this is all, um, all of these services then get access to our underlying blockchain infrastructure. That include, um, for example, NFTs, which you can get then, you know, get by buying games. Each game you buy is an NFT. You can also get them by playing games, virtual items, and so on um dlcs are nfts as well but then you can also start getting these items virtual items and games in other services like theta you will watch a live stream maybe sponsored by ubisoft and then you know nfts are going to be airdropped to the people that are watching the live stream just as much as the winner of a tournament can win exclusive nfts and and so on so basically um in a nutshell it's an entertainment platform powered by our uh, blockchain technology. All right. Um, your team has a deep gaming background. I, I think blockchain gaming is one of the bigger use cases that we'll see uh, before some of the more real world use cases. Um, and I, I believe that for well, long it's one of them. And it's it's one of them that I guess we, we've been talking about for even prior to ES uh, mainnet launch was the idea or just in general is that gaming is usually one of the industries that adapts and, and adopts uh, the quickest, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, if so you we look know at that that's where a lot of that that initial use case is going to come from, and, and Ultra is right up there. If you look at the background of some of the OGs within crypto, they came with, sorry, for they, they came with gaming backgrounds like like Brock and people mm. like that. They all came from like mining World of Warcraft gold and that's how they got the crypto because they saw the value of these digital assets. When you play a video game now, almost every game has a coin in it. It's just a, a different- Well, you're used like to it, game. right? As a yeah. gamer, it's a, it's a natural transition to be able to use your in, in game currency as an actual asset it, the, the the mind jump is very very small for gamers right mm -hmm. so and what, a lot what, of the people at ultra came from gaming backgrounds right so yep. like big shout out like there's in your team there's some some pretty superstars in there that led to i guess some of these partnerships can you talk about a couple of the people on your team that have some significant gaming backgrounds or just backgrounds in the industry in general yeah, so myself and Nicholas, we've been in the gaming industry now for 10 plus years, something like that. Um, we made mobile games, um, then we made um, AAA games um, with a studio that got acquired by Kingsoft. And then um, we also made a video game console when we lived in China. And um, so we've been in the space for quite some time. We've worked with great companies. Um, for example, when we made the console in China, it was, of course, with AMD that created the chip for us. We made a custom chip. That's also where our relationship with AMD, you know, came from. Um, that's why we have so much support from them. Um, but then we also have um, um, somebody like uh, Edward Morlem, who um, used to be in charge of game initiatives at Apple. And then later he used to be in charge of game initiatives at um, Google. Um, so great background, knows literally everybody from the game industry. If we need a meeting with, you know, AMD, but also, um, you know, companies, um, uh, Ubisoft, uh, Konami, Bananamco, whatever, you name it, we can have a meeting really fast with them. Um, and, and obviously this is a very, um, this is a very important aspect in the game industry because everything is about content and these companies typically don't give content to, you know, anybody. And so when we start the conversation with them, there's this like long existing, com you know, relationship with them, um, that allow us to immediately start, you know, with the right foot and then. Uh, more generally speaking, on the IT industry, our CTO, Mike Dunn, um, he used to be the CTO of Dell, um, which, you know, obviously is a giant company. Tiny uh, company, where, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that had, <laughs> a little, you know, some responsibilities over there. Um, and then he was the CTO of Time Warner as well, where he Another also did, tiny company, yeah. You know, a couple of, you know, um, but, you know, small stuff. And then... And then he was there at Hertz. Um, he was also founder um, and advisor at um, the, you know, a couple of really interesting funds. Um, so with him, we got a lot of experience in the development, how to structure a company to grow fast, how to deal with really large teams, um, which we expect to, to have in the future. It's why we, we choose to work with him. Um, and um, and then we got his knowledge in the financing aspect, you know, how to talk to VCs, how to make it, how to structure um, the company properly, both in terms of development, but also in terms of management. Um, 
So these are some of the great people we're working with now. There's tons of there, great. What people. about there's this guy on the screen here? This guy Rami. You was, guys, you guys hired some. To make yeah, <laughs> you guys have one of the most experienced wallet and blockchain developers you could have possibly found within the EOSIO community. How did Absolutely. that all come to fruition? Let's talk about that, the, the James Brothers and Ultra and how that all came to fruition, what the rules are at the company. So Nathan and I joined Ultra in January. We actually reached out to David, I think it was in uh, November of uh, 2019. Um, yep. We had heard some noise about Ultra. I looked into it. It seemed like a very interesting project. It was like right up our alley. It was blockchain. It was gaming. It was like all the stuff that we were like deeply interested in already. Um, I think actually the last time that I came onto the show, we talked about the marketplace that Nathan and I had been building at the time um, that was focused on NFTs for the uh, mm -hmm. EOS uh, community. And when we heard about Ultra, uh, I reached out to David about being one of the first BPs. And he said, well, if you guys don't want to be a BP, maybe you want to come and build some cool shit with us. And I talked to Nathan and I said, listen, this is an amazing opportunity. We get to uh, do what we want to do with a larger t team with, uh, you know, the experience building those types of uh, scale projects. And we jumped. We said, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And we took it. And I have to say the past almost year now has been excellent. Um, the team is super experienced, really well organized, um, international, uh, really nice people, like really coming to work every day is a joy. It's been fantastic. Um, I, I, had a, I was holding my tongue on a question I forgot. Um, what, what's your actual role? So Rami, what's your role at Ultra? Like what, what's your day to day? Like you're a product owner. So a product owner, a product owner is a specific version, I guess, of like a product manager uh, within the scrum agile uh, mindset, the way, uh, the way that they work within the company is using scrum and agile. Mm -hmm. And the product owner kind of has the uh, vision of what that particular part of the project is supposed to be. And there's a lot of negotiating, there's a lot of uh, discussion, there's a lot of communication internally and externally making sure that things kind of like run the way that they're supposed to run mm -hmm. and do you, do you work with nathan at all or are you guys i do so it's stuff? like again like dream come true i get to work <laughs> with my brother um he's uh on the blockchain team um he's been building some super cool stuff that uh we've talked about some of it uh some of it we haven't talked about yet um Anything and, that you can mention that you haven't yeah, talked how about? about that? Little, little, uh, there is already one nugget that dropped and we'll get back to in a second here. But yeah, is and there everybody any... should pay attention to the pictures in the background because they give hints to maybe what's coming. <laughs> Where's the Bitcoin? <laughs> Where's the Bitcoin? Um, I'm not going to drop any nuggets. I'm going to leave that. All right. Well, I, I, I already have one that dropped. I, I, I got a good one. Um, one more question about the team. How large is the team at all? You guys are mm -hmm. fairly large, right? How many employees roughly? Yeah, I think at this point we're 60, yeah, 60 something. Yeah, I don't know exactly. Really solid but, uh, team, man. Yeah, it's yeah. Still growing. We, we, we just added a couple of new people and I think a couple of additional will come. Um, but we reached, uh, we reached a good size. Um, and 
more importantly, we reached the stage where we're in cruising speed because, you know, when you build up a team, um, first, it's difficult to find the right talent. Um, mm -hmm. But then you also need to create a, like a workflow that fits everybody's working style. You need to create um, um, yeah, automations like, you know, oh, everybody knows this meeting happens. There's this timeline, there's this and that. And this thing doesn't happen overnight, especially with a team of our size. This thing takes a lot of time. And, and you're global, right? Like it's not just one city. Yeah, which was which is actually a really good thing because you know when COVID happened, um, a lot of companies were like scrambling to okay, how are we going to organize and so on. And in our case, it was literally well, guys, just for those who want a second screen, pick one up at the office, and that was it. You mm -hmm. know because we we already distributed, so the workflow didn't change. There's just uh oh. Uh -oh. the workflow the workflow just changed here so there were oh yeah there's an interruption i'll, I'll, I'll pick i'll pick up from where david uh, left off basically like the company is spread over like a dozen different time zones and there already had to be processes in place which you know defined who's doing what on any given day uh like we have like in intermittent timelines with uh set deadlines everything is like super well organized and that makes uh, when everybody's working from home, it much easier because everything is already clear. Like we didn't have to scramble to kind of like build up a new structure for the company. Like it was already all in place. And honestly, we didn't feel it. Like COVID came, it was, it was all fine for us. Uh, I know that that wasn't true for a lot of companies. So we were particularly lucky in that case. Up and David just rejoined and he is All right. back. He's and I'm back. In. I'm alive. There you there go. I don't know. Like so micro, micro cut. Yeah. Rami finished off that answer, so we're good there. I we're talking about dropping nuggets or news here. Uh, David, earlier whenever you're talking about your team, you were like, "Yeah, if we need to have a call with AMD, Ubisoft, you've already announced things with them. You mentioned a company, Konami." No, he mentioned one. He dropped the. He I dropped heard, one. I heard, I heard that I heard, too. I wrote it down immediately. What, what? <laughs> is there anything that you can share about that, or is it was it just a general statement that you were making because it's a it's a gaming uh, company that you could think of on the top of your head? So my uh, associate down, is down, right next to right, me with right. a gun. So I will say I Maybe will some next start. <laughs> <laughs> So you, but you were I mentioning could, earlier. To be honest, I could have stated any company in the game industry. Mm -hmm. We literally know everybody. Like literally, it's mm -hmm. um, it's. Um, you know, you know, when we started, even before the company started, we started speaking with all of the major players and we asked them, okay, what are the problems you have? What are this and that? And because we had that relationship. And so over time, you know, GDC, um, E3, China, Joy, Tokyo Game Show, for three years, we've been doing them one by one every year and keep getting information, feedback, showing what we had and so on. And so um so so we basically built further the relationship with them and 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 this is how we managed to secure this many developers like at this point 150 are on board um with the ultra story um so so yeah really any company they all they every company that has a name out there pretty much know us uh, today 
Well, and you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned that there's a lot of companies that obviously are on board with the story and there's two of them in, in particular that have uh, made formal partnerships or that there's been announcements of, of partnerships uh, in recent times. So you, you touched upon, I guess, uh, Feta uh, and uh, Atari. Can you talk about a little bit about how that happens? Like, how does a partnership come to place? What is their role in all of this? What, what do you, how does the vision come together? Okay, so um, the, the cool thing about Ultra is that it is an um, additive business model. So um, basically, for companies to integrate their services in Ultra, it is not like they, are, they need to make a decision like, okay, we're moving to Ultra. Actually, it is uh, addition. Um, and so for us, this business model is, is, um, is very powerful. Um, because for our user base, we're basically facilitating the discovery of new services, onboarding of new services, and so on. And for them, basically, they have a new source of users. And then because they are part of our ecosystem, they get to use our blockchain technology. They get to use you know, our infrastructure, special functionalities, and so on. So basically, it is for them a way to enhance their products. And it is for them a way to increase their user base. And it is for us a way to grow the platform faster through the user base of other services. And it is a way for us to provide a better seamless um, user experience. So, so really everybody's winning. And, and it's not like they need to you know, put the cross on their other business. Um, you know, Theta still lives as Theta, but Theta will also live inside Ultra and benefit mm -hmm. from Ultra's technology. One of the earlier, I remember talking to Emmanuel, uh, the community manager for you guys early on about some of the use cases. We were talking about NFTs, I believe. And one of the initial use cases for you guys with the NFTs is like a gaming license. So one of the cool things I found was if I'm a game developer, I, I could launch a gaming license. It would be an NFT and I could set different rules and variables on it for taking a cut of the resale value of a game. Right. So currently, if I'm a game developer, I, I, I'm EA Sports and I made Madden. I can't really control the secondhand market after someone played the game and then they sell it back to like EB Games, for example, and trades it in for a new game. Uh, the game, the game developer doesn't really make anything from that. They have no control over that. But within your, your system, from the way I understand it, be I develop a game, I sell it to someone and then they want to sell it to Eve. I could have something in that NFT that basically gives me like 5% of all secondhand sales or something like that. Is that, am I accurate here? David, maybe you want to talk a little bit about what the token factory is and how that works. Yeah, so so basically, when you publish a game on Ultra, um, or let, let's start differently, any NFT that is generated um, that is a, like an Ultra NFT came from what we call a token factory. So the token factory is um, generating one type of NFT. So if you have an NFT for a particular game version you would have one token factory if you have an nft for maybe the limited edition that's another token factory so one token factory kind of like a real factory produces one type of product but then you can have multiple factories so for the same game you might have you know three different factories standard edition limited edition and then the, the game of the year edition with all of the dlcs and so on and so when when a game developer publishes a game on ultra they you know set their store page like uploading images description and so on 
then they would upload their files, you know, and then we have a really powerful, probably, I'm like, so far I have seen no other platform that has such powerful uh, file management and, and file delivery technology, like even PlayStation, Xbox, Steam, they don't, they don't have what we have. And then once they are done, they can productize these files, a version that is for the Chinese market that only contains Chinese language. You can productize it, sell it, like um, you set up a token factory and you can set a lower price because you know there's only Chinese language in it. Um, and then you can create another version for the international version with more languages and um, and you can do DLCs and so on. And, and each of these different products, you will have the ability to decide, can it be traded? Yes, can it be traded right away? No, maybe you can start trading it next year. Um, mm -hmm. Is there a minimum price? Is there a commission fee? Is there a promoter fee? And all of these are parameters you literally just set up through interface. So once your files are uploaded, you really have nothing to develop. And we take care of the tokenization. So any game or any content published on Ultra is tokenized through a token factory that you set up through an interface, um, through an application that you find in Ultra that we call the game, um, the game dev center, which is what you get access to when you register as a game developer. You, you can start um, setting up different store pages for different games and uploading your files and, and, and all of that. Yeah. So, so Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say something. So you, you, so a big focus right now, what you talked about is about the game developers, right? And I'm sure that a lot of people in the audience right now are not necessarily developers, which obviously they're a key component of the equation. Without the developers, you're not going to have any games. What about on the, on the user side? How does that impact their experience? What does this mean for them? I, I guess like the, the most important feature here would be to talk about the uh, fusing of UOS into NFTs. Like that impacts the the end users the most. You kind of saw yeah. where I was going with that. <laughs> um, so it really comes down to a great user experience for not only developers but for the end users and making mm. it as easy as possible. Rami, you could elaborate on the NFT uh, with the US token, but after that, I want to get into the 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 re, the ultra power model because mm. we have some people in the chat talking about how this stuff relates to EOS. Well. There's a lot of great ideas from different chains and like imitations, the ultimate form of flattery. And I personally think that like the ultra power model is great. I don't know if it's great necessarily on a public network like EOS, but it's a great idea. I like seeing different iter iterating on the, the vanilla EOS IO tool set and expanding on it and making it better. So Rami, I guess, fin could you please finish the answer that you started and then we can get into ultra power and like what it is and what's different from like mainnet resources. Sure. Actually, I wanted David to talk a little bit about the fusing of UOS into NFTs. Sure. Um, and one one detail that he left out, which I think is actually really quite important, um, for the token factories, you can set um, the maximum limit of NFTs for uh, any uh, token token issuance. So you can have a limited run of games, which until now ha has only been possible with physical objects. Yeah. I think with digital objects is also really interesting. You can have uh, a, a premium edition of a game which has some extra content, has a thousand uh, of these uh, NFTs which can be issued. And once they're sold, there are no more tokens to be issued and they go onto the secondary market and the value of those uh, tokens, those games, um, they go up. 
both because they have a limited issuance and because they have real value because they're real banks that have real extra added value for the users themselves. So currently what we see with NFTs today is, um, and I want to be careful how I say this because I know that there's a lot of people that uh, are really into the way that NFTs uh, are used today, but they are baseless in the value that they provide for the end user. They're uh, speculative. And one of the things that I find most exciting about the stuff that we're doing at Ultra is we're providing NFTs that have real value for users. They're functional. They uh, have secondary value on the markets. And they're backed up by blockchain technology, which is you know what, what we're all here for. Like it's immutable, it's long-term, uh, it's interesting, it pro provides privacy and freedom. I mean, like, like all the stuff that we're interested in, but now for games uh, and for NFTs. Absolutely. And just to, to also to like a quick note, um, everything we explained about token factories, they work for virtual assets as well, virtual items, right. collectibles, um, and, and so on. So what, we, what we're building is really like, um, um, like a foundation uh, for other things. Um, yeah, so maybe, um, do you want me to transition to the power or or should yeah, I maybe sure. talk about the power and how that, that comes about for, for end users, right? Because we've seen that there's a lot of pain points with blockchain as a whole. Uh, a key component to adoption is making it as simple as possible. And one of the things that I really like about Ultra is that you're abstract from the very beginning. The idea is to abstract away a lot of the blockchain components. So Rami talks about how we're in it for the blockchain component side of things, but the end user might not even know that it's running on blockchain. It doesn't really matter. They're just wanting to ensure, like I remember Diablo 3 Marketplace was one of the, the big ones where immediately after Diablo 3 got released, there's a marketplace that's part of it. And then there's a resell of items and there's a huge uptick in, in price. And then everything crashed because then there was a lot of fake items that came about, et cetera. So for the end user part, it's not so much whether it's running on blockchain or not, it's whether or not that, you know, the, the whole environment can, can keep its valuation, et cetera. And that's where the blockchain component comes in. But from the end user component, how does that work for them? Like how do they interact differently or, or how is it abstracted away from them so that they basically just play their games and enjoy the content that they're currently enjoying? It's just more secure. It's just better for them. So can you talk about a little bit about that? Because there are some, limitations to blockchain right now how did you guys abstract that away even for example in the language that you've used when we talk about the resource model some of the language uh choices that you've made really abstracts away the fact that it's that, that there's anything technical behind it even though it is quite technical in the back end mm -hmm. yeah so i i think a very good example to the abstract of wording we do is is like a very simple example like right now you have on eos you have an owner key and then you have an active key okay so um for us the active keys we call them devices so because at the end of the day the guy has one computer that's one device he has one phone that's one device and so we call them device keys um but aside from you know nomenclature um like one thing that's really important and the reason why we build our blockchain is because um, Ultra is designed for a mass market audience, like uh, mainstream, zero knowledge of technology, 
Um, they can just use apps and they don't want to bother understanding or learning technology. They just want to buy a game, play a game, do all of that. And at this point, um, and even in, of course, back in the time when we started, um, there was a like a very clear understanding from us that there was no solution that provide a level of simplification um, or level of easy access to blockchain services. And it's still the case today. Um, you know, on, and, and so, um, and this is, this is why we, we didn't create a product that we fit into the blockchain. We created a product and then we fit the blockchain around it. Um, and so some of the like requirements are um, like, of course, um, like you don't want them to have to understand how resources work, what is CPU, what is bandwidth, what is RAM. You, you also don't want them to have to buy an account before they need to start doing something. And also we don't want to pay for that account because that would be simply ridiculous. It's our service why should we pay you know 40 cents per user that goes on our service um it would be just like uh, very very inefficient especially when you look at free-to-play games and such you will have millions of users you need, need to pay 40 cents per user that's like tons of money that just goes away like very inefficiently and so um and so that's why we we built our own resource model the idea is that we don't want users to pay for accounts. Uh, we don't want users to worry about staking. Um, and so, for 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 example, for staking, what we do is we we moved the responsibilities of and the complexity of staking from developers and we uh, from users, then we moved it to developers. And so um, we we basically say, if you have a blockchain service, you should be sponsoring these transactions for the users of your blockchain. And then when you start thinking about it, then you start seeing there's a lot of possibilities for abuse and there's a lot of possibilities for attacking um, the network. And, and this is how we, we started thinking and, and came up with, a, with our power resource model. So first of all, basically we combined um, bandwidth and CPU in a single resource that we call ultra power because it's by, real easy. quick by bandwidth you mean net right most network yes yes yeah okay net so net and, and cpu are combined into one resource just clarification yes. okay. so like right now if you're missing some net transaction failed is if you're missing some cpu transaction failed the thing is you put eos in it right so why would you have to calculate the thing so in our case it's all in the same thing and if you use cpu just remove some of that same unit um, so it simplifies already one um, layer. Um, and then the second thing is um, when, when, you know, when you want to stake, you need to know how much you need. Um, and then when you do that, you reserve a part of the network. And so that's why basically at this point, um, EOS is looking at um, a new resource model because the previous one is extremely inefficient. Basically, everybody kind of has a possession of the capacity of the network. Um, and then there are some some issues um, when it comes to um, when, when the network reaches capacity, then basically there's a, there's a multiplier 
that you typically, um, as if there's a kind of a bonus, if the network is not completely used, you can take whatever CPU or whatever net you have multiplied by that multiplier. And then as soon as the network reach capacity, the multiplier becomes one. Um, and at that point, basically, if you own 1% of the network, even if you don't, of US coins, even if you don't use them, they are reserved for you. So, so that becomes like um, um, a problem. And so, um, so there's two problems. First, you need to deal with, you know, calculating the resources you need. Plus, when network reaches congestion, then basically it becomes even worse than the congestion because everybody reserves their own thing. There's no multiplier. And so what we what we do is, um, in essence, we 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 you you can't you don't reserve how much of the network you own. You never reserve that um, and we assume that the network is at all time at capacity and and the way it works is we have a queue system where when you want to put the transaction um, you you just send it and and then the blockchain is going to look um, whether the network is at is that is congested like whether it's um, incapable of handling the total amount of transaction per second that the, the network can do. If it, if it can, if it say, okay, we're at 70%, then your transaction just get handled. And um, and they, they don't care um, whether or not you've got enough ultra power, you just get handled. Um, up until the moment when the network might in some situation or at all time be at 100%. And then at that point, what it does, it's just going to look at how much ultra power do you have? And you might have zero because you might never have stake. And that's perfectly fine. The way it will do, it will just put you in a queue and it will um, execute first the ones that have the most power and then the one that have no power and then the ones that might even be in negative power because that's where it gets interesting. Um, when you send a <clears throat> transaction and you have zero power, basically you go in negative and that's perfectly fine. And um, maybe there's a million of people that are in negative. And then what we do is we just execute the ones that are the least in negative, and then the other ones get um, executed up up until a moment where maybe your transaction you you have a super negative thing. You've been basically freeloading, if you will, the network. Eventually, um, your if the network is too much um, busy your um, transaction is just going to be dropped and then either you stake more um, ultra power or you you just wait until the network uh, gets in a better situation. So I, you, I, I just want to inter, inter, intervene and say a little bit about some of the rationale behind that queuing system because I think it's important. Um, those users that are likely to be the ones that are at the top of the queue that are, are staked to the network are generally going to be the developers and the publishers on the system who have a vested interest in making sure that their transactions go through the system first, um, and we're providing a mechanism for that to happen. And then for all the other users, like the, you know the bulk of the users that are going to be using the system that are per performing transactions, um, there's a system where you perform your transaction and then you have your place in the queue uh, bumped down temporarily with some day over time. And 
there's this constant shuffling of who's uh, next in line for the queue. And then everybody who is too far down in the queue, uh, eventually they're uh, pushed back up into the queue through that mechanism. So you have a, a system where the most important transactions always get uh, through. And then you have everybody else who has a fair access to the system through the decay mechanism. And then you have the people that are obviously abusing the system, trying to push through too many transactions, uh, that they're pushed way down into the queue so they don't interfere with the rest of the system. So that the ones that have the most uh, valid access to the system actually have access to the system. I, yeah, I promised I wasn't going to ask Eve any questions and he was just going to be a co-host today. But since you understand the resources, like I, I said how these ideas are, are, are really good from like other EOSIO projects or chains. And if they could be like modified or the idea or concept could be used on a public network, is, is this resource model something that would work on a public network or is it something that would only work on like a hybrid uh, like consortium network like yourselves? And anyone could answer this, but I do want Eve to jump in a little bit. So which part, which part of it are you like, what's the actual question that you're asking? Uh, I mean, so combining net and CPU, like, mm. I think that makes sense. Like once you know, like the magic ratio of like what's typical and what's not going to screw things over, like it, it would be easier to just think of one, but at the same time, that's really never been an issue on EOS. Um, but I'm thinking of like the implementation queue. It's, it sounds almost like a mempool, uh, but on an EOSIO chain. Um, it's the big difference is, and this is where the mainnet is heading as well, is just making every single resource accessible so nobody can reserve resources. Think of it like the way that I like to think of the ultra uh, power and the, I'm, I'm really oversimplifying here, but think of going to a theme park and you essentially get in line to ride a you know a roller coaster or whatever it is, but some people buy the uh, the fast pass and they just get to skip the line because they bought the fast pass. So everybody gets to ride the roller coaster. It doesn't really matter. Just some people decide that they don't want to wait in line for you know five minutes or fifteen minutes, whatever it is. So they get to skip the line, but the the roller coaster itself is able to accommodate full ride all the time. So there's never any like if there are people in line, they're gonna fill out every single uh what would you call them like the cars on the on the roller coaster or whatever it is and that's what the real difference is is you're never sending a roller coaster out without have with by having seats empty your seats are always full it's just who gets to be there first is is the big difference and that's mm -hmm. essentially where the mainnet wants to move as well uh, right. so it doesn't really have to do so much with the combining cpu and net mm -hmm. it's more so optimizing the system to ensure that the roller coaster when it leaves the station is always full and then whoever gets to, to be on that roller coaster is determined by the, in this case, uh, US power. And one of the things that I, I, I've touched upon earlier that I really like is the nomenclature as well by like, even just, if we talk about, let's say combining CPU and net, just talking about CPU and net is kind of confusing, uh, for people. I mean, it, it, for, for me, it's not confusing, but for my mother it would be confusing. Um, and so if, if we're just talking about, you know, power, I just need to power my account. I just, oh, oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm waiting oh, in line a little bit too long. I want to get on the right, roller coaster. Yeah. I just, right. I want to skip the line. I just need a little bit more power. That for me, that specific component things, I think makes the whole system so much easier I to understand. Me, so, or I can't hear Eve. So if everyone else could. Oh, you can't hear me yeah, anymore? I, I can hear Eve. Everything is fine. Okay. Um, I saw um, the drive, David dropped off. Um, mm. I think that like one of the most important things that Ultra is bringing to the table here is 
the core concepts that they want uh, to present to the end users are uh, simple and accessible. And you know that has to do with all of the work that we've done around you know the staking and resources on the network. But it also has to do with um, how we're addressing things like uh, accounts on the system. So if you've used EOSIO uh, software, whether it's uh, the EOS mainnet or whether it's WAX or Telos or any of the uh, number of networks that are running today that are all really excellent. Um, doing simple stuff like building out a blockchain account for a user is, I'm not going to say monumental, but it's a really difficult task for a lot of people. And one of the things that uh, we've been working on at Ultra for quite a while now uh, are easy ways to open accounts. So when you open an account for uh, an ultra for the Ultra client, you're actually um, opening an account within the client, which is also generating a blockchain account. And that's conceptually very familiar for most users. So you go to Gmail, you open an account, and the, those users, they don't care what database software the account is being uh, pushed to. They don't care about any of the, the routing that it goes through or any of you know, like the, the backend software that's associated with them. They have an account that they can reset they, if they, they don't have to manage their keys. There, there's you know, a simplicity to it. And it's really important that when we talk about going mainstream, um, pushing blockchain technologies to you know, everyday users, that things like uh, blockchain accounts are transparent to them, um, that things like resource management is transparent to them, that they can just do the transactions that they want to do because that's what they're there for. They're not there you know, to uh, deal with all the complexity that's inherent in blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. They're there to do a task. And some of the stuff that you know, like David specifically has been coming up with over the past year we're good. I don't know why it does that sometimes. We're good. Uh, sorry. Um, something which is still super powerful. So uh, developers still have access to the like super uh, flexible, um, incredible software that is EOSIO as you know as a software stack, but um, also accessible for end users in a way that until now has not been. Um, what about RAM on Ultra? Is RAM, uh, I, I read the uh, article about the resource model. I mentioned CPU and net. Is RAM handled any differently? And also for account creation, uh, who's covering the cost? Are they free? Yeah, so for RAM, um, we also have a different um, model because um, like we didn't go to space on RAM. We, because, you know, scarce, they should be. Uh, dedicated developers to use it. You're breaking um, up a little bit. This, oh, okay. Um, this uh, ramp where you can buy and uh, you can set it and uh, set it for the price. Yeah. Uh, can anyone else, uh, might, is it just me or? It's no, no, David's choppy. connection is a little choppy. Do you want um, Sure. I'll, and I'll, Rami's I'll just... video is, is in constant loop of, of him playing with his fingers. <laughs> 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 uh, 
it's it's actually something Nathan has been working with me okay. on the last couple of years. I'm a nervous talker and I like I touch mm. my fingers. Well, now it's actually in loop for like a 0.5 second loop of just <laughs> your fingers going like this nonstop. I think we can reset it if you uh, if you change the video layout, Zach. I know it worked last time oh, really? when we were testing it. Uh, sure. And it, uh, maybe not. I know it reset it last time. Anyways, oh, there you go. We're good. All right, David dropped off. Man, David dropped off again. The software's so, a little bit so, more buggy. So than basically, for when we're talking about RAM. Um, account creation, uh, the RAM costs are covered by Ultra. Um, the, the larger uh, purchases of RAM that developers would need, that's something that happens between Ultra and the developer. So for the most part, um, the regular users won't have to be dealing with managing RAM at all. Um, for special case users that they'll want to uh, generate a whole bunch of accounts that are associated with their ultra ultra account um, we'll be providing access to ram management for them but of course not purchasing ram they'll be purchasing accounts which will be paying for the ram and it's this again it's this like simplified mindset where they're going to be uh, focused on the task at hand and we'll be providing the technical solution in the background where the actual end user won't have to deal with it so so the blog, the, the blockchain actually, when you create an account, we we have a tier system, and this tier system provide different amounts of RAM or different permissions, like like how many keys can it have, how many permissions can it have, and we kind of quantified that, and so and and then we have a like the ability to say okay this account is going this type of is going to be this kind of accounts and then you're going to receive a different amount of ram you know depending okay this account can have five keys we know exactly how much five keys is and then this account is going to have this much permissions we know exactly as well and so we so basically you buy your account and you want that or that and and you just receive that packaged so that you don't have to worry about it. And then eventually maybe you will need more devices. And so you're going to buy something, but this thing is going to be much more um, simple to understand by that time that you reach this many devices. And, and at that point you will receive a notification and say, when you want to create one, hey, you know, to have more, you need to pay uh, something. And then basically you, it's a, it's a package. Mm -hmm. Nice. And I guess we, we've been talking about performance as a whole without actually talking about the performance, which is a good segue into <laughs> you just released the testnet results, right? So there's been some some backend testnet um, testing going on and benchmarking going on. Uh, can you talk about that? And can you talk about when the public testnet is going to be coming out and when the, I guess, the mainnet, uh, public yeah. mainnet is going to be coming about? But touch upon the performance itself, because you guys have done some really interesting and really um uh, how can i say so some some improvements to the the vanilla layer of EOSIO, which has led to performance increases so can you talk about that sure um so because actually it's funny because when we started the queuing system for us you know initially it looked like okay this is an additional layer on top of eos you know, the US doesn't have the queuing. This is something that's coming. And so we were thinking how to optimize it to kind of reach the same performance. And we, we were expecting, okay, we we're going to lose 5%, but that's fine because, you know, 
easiness and 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 like um, no management of resources and anybody can do real free transaction was worth it. Um, but then it turns out that some of the part that we removed from EOS because we didn't need them anymore, basically provided us more performance at the end of the day, even though we included our queuing system than, than basically EOS. So it was, a, it was a really good surprise. And then on top of that, um, of course, there is a really huge gain um, when it comes to successful transaction because um, you know when you stake um, coins on EOS, basically it's a moving target because you never really know what is going to be the state of the network. And so if you really want to be sure, you will need to stake much more than what you really need. Um, and so for people who don't do that much more staking than what they really need, there are situations where the transactions are just going to fail because they didn't have enough CPU or net by the time that transaction happened. And so for us to kind of um, like compare the different strategies, like the vanilla and our strategy, we, we created like a benchmark um, testing, like um, scenarios where we had a curve where, okay, um, there is a sweet spot where you like stake exactly what you need, but sometimes you stake too much and sometimes you stake not enough. And so we created. Uh, he dropped out again. Different scenarios, and then we got different results. We heard the last couple of. Yeah, the connection's a little choppy again. Right. So I think what he was saying is that they found the sweet spot in between where uh, you're staking too much or you're not staking enough. And if you can find that sweet spot, you can essentially optimize how the network runs. Not really. That's exactly right. No, not nope. really. I, I actually, no, uh, not really. No, <laughs> no. So in, on Ultra, basically, we don't need to find the sweet spot. That's the beauty of it. There is no need for a sweet spot. Um, on EOSU, and, but what we did is we compared the benchmark, we created different scenarios where some people stick too much, some people not enough, some people write exactly. We made it based on a curve and then we, we sent like millions and millions of transactions and then we could compare what would happen um, you know, in this scenario on EOS and then we just compare with ours and we, we could see um, like um, the, the, that our strategy in different scenarios was uh, superior to the original vanilla stra strategy, which which makes sense because um, and which is the reason why why EOS is looking for this new resource model. And um, I mean, I, I think everybody is aware of this problem, and now it's just going to be who is going to have the right strategy. Right. So. I, I think part of Eve's question was like some timelines for things like, so when will the users be able to play on the test net? And it, is there any indication of when the main net will be ready, even if it's a broad timeline? Um, so uh, for main net, um, well, I'm not, definitely not going to give dates, uh, but mm -hmm. what I can say is um, very soon, we're going to start onboarding EOS um, smart contract developers who will be able to dabble on our testnet. Um, 
And um, now, obviously, we are developers. We've been working on it, and uh, some other partners have been, you know, playing around. But we're going to start getting, you know, people that we don't necessarily know, um, and um, and this is going to happen really soon. Um, and I and then the the basically the main net will come once we're done stress testing the blockchain because this is still undergoing. Um, everything we've done for the benchmark was done in-house, even though we had physically separated nodes and we've really done it like, okay, this is, this is what it's going to be, um, different VPs, if you will. But now we're going to run and, you know, actually VPs are, are about to run them themselves so that we can test the benchmark between what we did with our infrastructure with what they are doing with their infrastructure. And then if we see, okay, they are, they are higher than good. If they're lower then you know, we can try to home in, okay, where is the problem and how can we improve it? And that's what basically we're, we're, you know, working on right now. I, I think one of the things a lot of our audience on this show are waiting for, and I, I can kind of relate. So right now, Ultra is an ERC-20 token. So a lot of our, our audience are EOS people or EOSIO people. And uh, obviously they want to buy and sell tokens. I know you probably can't get into price or speculation or anything, but just having access to them using the exchanges and DEXs and swap pools that they're used to. Um, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. Uh, Bitfinex is one of your... Uh, block producers they've been they're one of your original block producers uh, along with eos new york at the time and i forget who else um but eos phoenix is a thing and it's about to launch soon and they're doing wrap tokens with p tokens and different things is there a possibility uh that people using eos mainnet will have access to uos anytime in the near future yeah i think um I think it's important that um, our token exists on different chains. Um, and by the matter of fact, the ERC-20 that we have, they're not going to completely disappear. Um, and so, because, you know, there are good reasons to want to have tokens on different chains. And, and I absolutely see um, a good reason to have token on uh, EOS. Um, and then, um, you know, I you know I heard EOS is working on certain DeFi and and stuff. I'm not exactly sure what it is, um, but for me, it makes sense that uh, our token would exist also on on EOS. Yeah. Does All right. That answer so, your question? Yeah, people that made it this far, they got they got something. I, I got a nugget out of you. That's exciting. <laughs> That's really exciting. Yeah. I honestly, I, I've talked to a lot of people. Like last October, when I met some of your team in person, I came back from Korea and I was telling people about this ultra project and how it was kind of flying under the radar. And a big reason is because not every user uses Bitfinex or wherever else it's available. There are EOS people I'm around. They're like EOS people. And, and they, they follow EOSIO projects. And this just happens to be one that they're like, I don't want to bother with Ethereum just to kind of play with their token or whatever. So and, uh, it's to, exciting. To, to this extent, I'd like to add like, like um, something that um, is important to understand about Ultra. Um, you will download the client from our website. You will install it. You will register your account. 
um, just the way you're used to, and you will have your blockchain account, and it's secured, and it's it's going to be um, providing you a non-custodial, decentralized way to recover your key. It's foolproof. It's working for kids, and then you can have any DApp that can publish apps then in Ultra. Um, you know, like right now we're working with Theta and so on, but you will have other services that can come. So basically, just imagine that Ultra is really something you install, you register, and then you get access to everything. And you don't have to understand how to secure your keys, how to recover them, or how to um, how this works, how the power works, do I need to stake the all of that is like literally gone. You just install Ultra, you get access to everything. Um, All I want to do is install Ultra and then download Assassin's Creed Valhalla and have in-game items. That's all I'm looking for. <laughs> Somebody mentioned that in the in the chat uh, because we were talking about Ubisoft earlier, right? Yeah. So when can we expect, David? Uh, I know you can't mention any dates, but... Um, do we have an idea or can you say any idea of, of when you expect something to be somewhat available for for general public are we talking about in in a year's time in in shorter than a year's time or you can't really touch upon that at all i'm just looking for assassin's creed valhalla <laughs> uh, oh we got awkward silence it's never a good sign. oh uh, no no <laughs> no no so it's going to be really soon, that I can say, um, um, really soon. <laughs> all right, so so we've been going like an hour. I just want to recap some of the project. Oh. I don't think we got through all of the notes, um, but. Uh, there's one thing, actually, there's one thing, Zach, before we do that, uh, there's one thing we wanted to ask Rami from the very beginning. So Rami and obviously Nathan come from the wallet space within EOS. Um, and there's one thing I want to touch upon, which we kind of skipped over in the very beginning, was the onboarding. Uh, obviously, you know, you've, you've had experience with, with wallets and such. So how is the onboarding for people in terms of, let's say, fiat onboarding or in terms of coming into the ecosystem? Can you touch upon that a little bit? And how you optimize and how you brought some of your experience on that front of things? Because that's one of the pain points that we have in the ecosystem as well, it's just the onboarding section. Right, so like we talked about this before, but I'll, I'll say it again. Um, when you download the Ultra client, it generates the associated Ultra blockchain account for you. Um, the account itself is free. Uh, when you're doing purchases through the system, it's done with a credit card. It feels like uh, online shopping. It's super straightforward. Um, the purchases themselves uh, can either be through UOS or through fiat. They go through the Ultra blockchain. They're uh, posted to the Ultra blockchain, as you would expect any blockchain transaction to be. Um, it's all transparent to the user. Uh, developers have access to it. Auditors have access to it. Um, you know, all of the benefits of a blockchain technology uh, used in the right way, I think, benefit everybody. Oh, I was trying to do earlier whenever I was trying to summarize. I, I don't know if we named all the... I, all of the corporate partners, I don't know if we named all of them, but I just want to read through the list is AMD. Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll ask what, what each one's role is. So I know Ubisoft is a, a corporate block producer. So they're actually going to produce blocks on your blockchain via validator. 
Um, AMD was uh, one of the original partnerships. They're not a block producer, right? They're, they have a different relationship with Alter. What, what's the relationship with AMD and what's their role mm -hmm. going forward? So um, AMD uh, basically um, is going to bring a lot of users on the platform. So every time you, you, you will install a GPU driver or update the GPU driver, they will propose to install Ultra worldwide. Um, every time you're buying today a GPU, well, not every time. In many cases, when you buy a GPU, you receive a free game. And right now it's redeemable on Steam. Well, in the future, it's going to be redeemable on Ultra. So these are new users for us. Um, and we talk about in the future, we're talking about like October 28th, Big Navi 2 release, next level Radeon. Like we're talking about that kind of immediate future. Absolutely. So actually, we're, we're talking about like all of their products, like it, it's, it's regardless of like when is the launch or something it can be like old generation, new generation. It's just going to happen once we provide them the ability to give these um, um, keys, then they will do it immediately. Um, and and of course, there's um, also work on the optimization of our code of our technology. Um, for the servers, for block producers. Um, and then there's some other um, interesting partnership um, that are that are going to be very interesting to, to discuss about in the future. Um, I think that covers it. Of course, you know, AMD has a lot of um, relationship in the game industry. Um, they are helping us also, um, you know, securing some deals, introducing us to game developers and so on. Um, so, so it's really, it's a, it's a long-term partnership. It's a win-win partnership. Um, and, um, yeah, we're looking forward to, to announce some of the extra exciting stuff with them. How about the latest one? Let's talk about Atari. Uh, what, what's, what's the role of Atari? And it says they have a game console coming out. And I also saw that they're, um, going to be doing a token soon too so what's the partnership uh entail with atari and how that kind of come to fruition yeah so this is really interesting oh, this um, is public tokens. so um basically you will be able to buy atari games on our store uh, that you can play then on the console uh, but you will also be able to get access to ultra within the console um so which so that's very uh, you know unique um, you will be able within the VCS to buy games through Ultra that are games that people or, or I mean developer published on Ultra. So basically when they're published on Ultra, their game will be on Ultra, but also purchasable on the um, um, console. So um, that's something new. Um, and then um, there's also discussions about uh, potential usage of our NFT. Um, you know, the NFT is more than just the NFT with us. It comes with the SDK, it comes with tool set, it comes with our marketplace, um, you know, and all of the um, infrastructure for uh, publishing what we call like these token factories and so on. 
Okay, so I have the right. impression uh, we lost somebody else today. <laughs> I'm not sure. If, yeah, that's what I was asking too. I thought maybe we got Rami, but no, I see Rami, and he seems like he's the host now. All right, Zach no, is. I, I, I had a, I had a, a screen share. Chair. <laughs> well, I, I can only have four people on the screen at a time, so I, I was just had a window up. I, um, I do have one question, Zach. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's one thing that that we see a lot. So we've been covering Ultra obviously for for a while now. We do our our weekly hot sauce, and there's one thing that keeps coming about is people keep saying Ultra is life can you talk about that is that is that something that comes from you guys is that something that your community has in that that created and you guys have taken on talk about ultra is life it's a good catchphrase you know and you you will see stickers you will see bumper stickers and you will see t-shirts and and yeah, you see it everywhere but i want an ultra is life t-shirt for sure well if, if we need to get lisa sue to wear an ultra is life t-shirt as well Okay, you know, hold my beer. Yeah, let me get it done. <laughs> yeah. Nice, you guys heard it here first. Hold my beer to Lisa Sue. <laughs> I think not trust life shirt. So it um, came naturally, to be honest. It's like this is a community thing that happened, and and um, and you know, it's a very cool catchphrase, I think. And uh, we will definitely have goodies and, and distribute that in the communities. We're working right now on goodies, um, it's going to be pretty cool. <laughs> Um, I pulled up a old article here. Let me get it on screen. <laughs> Show on the screen. There we go. Okay, so we have there some we logos up here. Uh, Eve, you're not on the screen right now. Let me. Oh, you never mind. Um, so you met. I mentioned Atari because it was recently announced. Uh, Atari is obviously not on this graphic. This graphic I, is probably a couple months old. But I, I see you have all of the big gaming platforms on here. Is this an indication that like console is a focus for you guys and Atari might just be the beginning here? And uh, whether you, I, I'm not asking if there's guarantees that these consoles will come into play, but is that the end goal is to be everywhere with, with uh, Ultra? So talk to you about other, but what I can tell you is this. Um, all our technologies have been designed for cross-platform um, from the beginning. Um, and the SDK is already cross-platform. It works on PlayStation, it works on Xbox, it works on Android, it works on iOS, it, it works for Mac, uh, for Linux, and for Windows. So um, the, the basically our SDK will is is going to be both used by games, um, leveraging our NFT technology, um, but also by applications. So, um, and this is where it gets really interesting is um, our SDK will be using applications. Like you can imagine a chat application with emoticon that are NFTs that people can trade and so on. Um, you, you don't need to go through like the current complexity of integrating something like this in your app and how do you get the data from and where is, you know, can you, can you get the inventory in real time, but, you know, maybe somebody launched the app, gets their emoticon, but then in the background, he's selling it. Do you still allow him to use that emoticon? Well, all of this is like complexity, difficult, like you need to actually have an infrastructure for that. Our SDK handles all of that and it works for game, but it also works for app and it works for ultra 
it works for PlayStation, for Xbox, and so on. And so we will see a lot of interesting things coming from there. And, um, and I think um, the VCS is a great test bed uh, for us. Excellent. Uh, we've been going over an hour now. Is there anything uh, we haven't discussed you guys kind of wanted to share with anyone or any last questions from you, Eve? We, we can't muted. hear you, Eve. We muted again. Uh, wait, let me click. Uh, there you go. I was like permanently muted. I think, can you hear me now? Yep, we yeah. hear you. Yeah. So I think I, like to sum up one of the really good things I think as a takeaway for everybody is that Ultra really positioned itself uh, and you said it earlier, David, uh, or I think it was it was Rami that mentioned it. It wasn't that you're trying to jam pack blockchain into your product. It's that you have a product and you are in this space and you try to see how could blockchain be integrated into it. And this is, I think, what sets apart Ultra from everything else and why it's it's going to be, in my opinion, very successful. You come from the traditional space and you're integrating blockchain into your product offering. So it's a, it's a, it's an additional layer of you know a bonus essentially to what you're already doing, um, and that's what gets me the most excited, uh, and, and that's why we were so happy to be able to to take part in this journey with you guys. Uh, and there's only very little that I could say today, but obviously I'm I'm ecstatic uh, to be a part of, of this journey with with Rami, with you, and with everybody else at Ultra, and looking forward to see how Ultra is life in the months to come. <laughs> Cool. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm also looking forward to continue working with you guys and also other block producers, but also more generally speaking with a lot of people who are making smart contracts, um, who are making services and so on. And I think it's going to be a super exciting time, you know, what, because what we're really doing now is setting up infrastructure and this infrastructure is going to be a tremendous playground for developers. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. Because we facilitate, we do a lot of things and we're consuming our own APIs, but I want to see what other people make with it. And, and this, is, um, this is what the, I think the entire Ultra team is looking forward to. And that includes you guys as well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, any, anything else from anyone else or is, are we good to, uh, take her home here? I think we should take her home, Zach. And I think that, uh, we should end, uh, uh, the similar ending as usual, except of go EOS, we could do a go ultra, but same thing. If you guys are familiar, David, we're going to make some people mad, but okay. Let's oh, go. are we going to make some people mad? What it is everything EOS, there is EOS, but well, we, we can do it. Nice do a go. Let's do a go ultra. I don't care. Yeah, go ultra. Come on, go ultra. Let's do it. All right, on three, let's do a go ultra and let's take it home. All right, so three, two, one. Go ultra.